0: This week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast is proudly sponsored by our friends at Hello Productions. You may know them as Hello TV. They are a live stream concert production company, and they have done some great work. Did you see the Bayside live stream last month? They were celebrating 10 years of their record killing time. Their live stream was fantastic. Hello Productions did that. Did you see the Smith & Myers record release show? That was for free, and that was amazing. Did you see who did that? Yep. Hello Productions, if you're a solo artist, if you're a band, if you're a manager with a roster of bands and you're trying to navigate these somewhat confusing waters of doing live stream concert events, but you want to figure it out and you want to do it in a way in which everyone makes some money, reach out to Hello Productions. Go to h e l l o o o t v dot com, take a look at their work, reach out to them, and make it happen for you and your artists. h e l l o o o t v dot com. All right. Let's start the podcast. Hello and welcome, yeah, yeah, to the Berman Hour Podcast. My name is Jeff Berman. Thank you so much for tuning in. My guest this week is my friend Sam Russo, singer-songwriter, gentleman, mensch, Englishman, and my part-time father whenever I'm in the United Kingdom. Sam and I did a very quick tour together in 2012, but I believe we forged a lifelong friendship, and you'll hear in this conversation it's two friends, as they say in England, taking the piss out of each other. My American brain can never really understand that idiom, but I believe I used it correctly. If I didn't, and I just said something wildly inappropriate, It will forever live on this podcast. In fact, this is a little bit of an older interview from last year. This is the last of the interviews that I was able to salvage from the dustbin of IGTV history. Sam released a new record, Back to the Party, last March at the beginning of the pandemic. We learn all about the fallout from that amidst the pandemic. And he may or may not, you didn't hear it from me, have new music coming out sometime in the future. Trying to make it as vague as possible. Right? Picking up on up I'm putting down. Let's get it. Anyway, enjoy my fantastic conversation with my good friend Sam Russo here on the Berman Hour Podcast. Let's get it.
1: First time caller, thank you for having me. A little bit nervous, but it's very good to see you. Very good to see your face. Yeah, the new album, Back to the Party, uh, came out in March. We all know what else happened in March. So uh, one of those pandemic babies. Yeah, it's out, man. It's doing good. It's uh, doing the rounds, unlike me. I'm sitting here in my garden talking to you, and I should probably be on tour. So you know how it goes.
0: Yeah, did you... Because, you know, for artists like us, once we have a record, and because we are essentially our own bands and in a lot of ways we're our own brands as well there's a lot of thought and, and work that goes into a record obviously did you have at least one feeling of of relief of of just like respite once the record was out or did it kind of come out as everything was collapsing around you and you never really got that that sense of of uh relaxation post you know Postcoitus really <laughs> the
1: afterglow, yeah, no, I felt um, I felt amazing when it came out, same as same as any other record it was um, i wasn 't really thinking as much about what it was going into, you know, I just felt great about having finally got it out there, like it, we recorded it quite a little while before it came out. we recorded it, finished recording it at the end of uh, August the previous year,
0: yeah
1: two thousand and nineteen, and then mixing mix mastering, we took our time with it, we did a couple of little overdubs, little tweaks here and there, and then it came out. Uh, obviously in March, so there was a little gap, but the relief was pff, the biggest it's ever been. It was just amazing to have finished it and put it out. It was quite a quite a special record for me, so I felt felt amazing having finally just let it poosh, run
0: loose. I want to run some numbers by you in a minute, but before we do that, who is we?
1: We is the royal we. Me, myself, and I.
0: The <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, editorial. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I felt like um, I felt like it was a real team effort because. Uh, it's me and my my best friend Jules, uh Julian right. Giles Harding, did the, the production side of things. My new friend Sam Inglis was the engineer. And uh, my good friend Chris Stockins came and played some guitar. You know what it's like, man, doing the solo thing can be really lonely and it can be quite isolating. So I was really like latching onto them and their ideas and that, and they're as much a part of the record as as uh you know, as I am. Yeah, it did feel like a we. I realize I say we all the time, that's what it felt like.
0: Well, that's what it is. It's kind of, you know, even though you're a solo artist, for for what you do, it's very much a a village mentality, Um, and you try to be inclusive. And I think, you know, you can hear that in your records. There's a lot of singer-songwriters, there's nothing wrong with this, but there's a lot of singer-songwriters of our ilk who just do everything at home themselves, and and they're so insular into their own process. Sometimes it works, and it hits, and sometimes you can tell, and it's it's good to hear that you're working with other people, because I think your records... Uh, reflect
1: that? Yeah, I mean, I try and... Um, I mean, we have a band, you know, I have a full, like, Russo band. So everything I write, I've got, you know, I'm mostly thinking about the solo stuff, because that's what I tour most with, but then I'm also thinking about how it's going to translate when we really flesh it out. And I'm, I'm lucky to have pretty amazing musicians in the band, like Chris, who plays guitar, is a stone-cold ripper, and he's a great arranger, and he's he always brings something really interesting that I hadn't thought of. I've got um, Katie Black, who plays bass. Uh, she is, uh, you know, she's a she's a jazz musician primarily. You know, she plays saxophone yeah. as a main instrument, plays keys as well. And then Marty Everett, who plays drums, is a full-time drum teacher, so he's constantly, you know, just a rhythm machine. So, yeah, when we get together, it's great to, um, you know, throw my sort of half-finished solo songwriter ideas in and just see what they rip out of it. It's great fun. So yeah, yeah. we kind of have that 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 whole band vibe with. You know the whole the whole band practice thing brings a lot of texture, and it lets me go away and think. Okay, how can I play that and still uh, not, you know, not feel like it's missing something? Do you know what I mean? Like, how can I flesh this out just with me? And that's that's kind of what this album is. So, hopefully, you know, comes across.
0: Yeah, um, I want to get into that, but first, I just want to run some some dates by you. Yeah. Uh, you and I met in 2012 and did a tour together in the UK. Yeah, man. And uh, promptly fell in love. <laughs> God, I, feel, I know. feel
1: weird not being able to, like, kiss and hug you right now. I it know. sucks.
0: I know. Gosh, I, I miss you so much. I want to say that your first full-length Storms came out in 2012. Uh,
1: yeah, Storm came out in 2012. It would have come out um, just before we went on tour. We were touring in September 2012. Yeah. Um. So yeah.
0: Storms, and then from Storms to Greyhound Dreams, which was 2015, was mm-hmm. more or less a three-year gap, give or take. And then... Yeah. Um, from Greyhound Dreams to Back to the Party. It was a five-year gap. Um, yeah. Was there a significant, specific reason behind that? Was it just because of fuck all that was happening in the world or in your life? And also, it seems as if Storms and Greyhound Dreams kind of flow together a little bit more, whereas right. this record seems like a, a new timestamp a new mile marker and kind of a departure from that and a a tinge in a a slightly different direction. Um, Tell me about the gap in the records or between Greyhound Dreams and Back to the Party and was the approach to kind of be different uh, something that you did on purpose or just kind of happened?
1: Maybe there's a missing album in there. Maybe <laughs> between. Maybe I made an album and forgot about it. Um, great, yeah. Greyhound dreams. I'm Asa. guilty of that. I, I, yeah, for sure. It, <laughs> <laughs> the one that you sent down the river. Um, yeah, storm and Greyhound dreams is a, a pretty, um, a pretty straightforward transition between the two. I guess they got kind of a similar sound. They're coming from a fairly similar place. The reason for the gap, and people, people hate me saying this, like this is not a great reason, but I didn't have an album i i I don't um i don't ever write to any kind of deadline i don't impose deadlines on myself i don't say like need to have you know three songs by the end of may or anything like that i just i literally just write as and when i I, not like when i whenever i feel like it but like i write basically when i'm inspired and when i want to write something that communicates a a specific thing so i don't i wish i was one of these songwriters who could come home sit down and just like start pumping out songs you know like i wish i was like john snodgrass or you know somebody who can literally write on cue but i can't so for that five years i i try not to like beat myself up if i'm not being massively musically productive and i try not to force stuff because i always regret what comes out so i just spent time working on like the craft of songwriting i just tried to try to like consciously write um the best stuff when I felt inspired. And if something wasn't good enough, I'd, I just didn't pursue it. I just kind of dropped it. So I do have like a, a stack of notebooks, literally this big from that period. I have like uh, the Storm notebooks are about that big. Greyhound Dreams is like that. And then Back to the Party is like a giant stack of like handwritten notes and stuff. And, uh, you know, a thousand voice memos and dictaphone tapes and everything else. Yeah. So I just wasn't, um, I just didn't have an album for that time. I just needed to focus on, uh, you know, getting that coherent lump of songs together somehow and i just kind of let it come
0: yeah are you focused at all on kind of rebranding in a sense and um i mean i, I, I love your yellow glasses i think it's thank pretty,
1: you everyone um, hates them
0: you know they look fantastic they're they're, they're marvelous <laughs> and you know since since covid and, and the quarantine you've been doing a good job of just kind of staying interactive with people um, you know, kind of doing this coffee morning coffee thing in on UK time, which usually synced up with me on the west coast at around Miami, <laughs> yeah, no anymore. The um, but you know, you've been doing that. But also, I, I guess what I'm getting is you kind of had this like old man river vibe when I first <laughs> met you, and now you're dressing in like neon and Hawaiian shirts, like.
1: It's, it's the classic midlife crisis, man. It's no, no. Well, I feel, I feel like what it is, and this, that's you know, this is where this is where Herman Berman gets journalistic. You're not fucking around. This nah. is um, my my honest take on it is that what the pandemic has done in you know in the most like overprivileged, self indulgent way possible for people like me uh, and people who like my music is that it's kind of forced. Uh, a level of engagement that i guess maybe i wasn't really ready for previously do you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. i feel like you drop a lot of pretense when you invite people into your house for uh, literally a saturday morning coffee and when you you kind of just like peel all the bullshit away and um you know if i there's a publicity photo of me that some guy has decided is going to be me standing with my arms folded in front of a barn uh sure it's going to look fucking moody and old man river as hell but that's that's not like 100% of who i am at all when you know that i'm um, yeah,
0: yeah
1: i'm a complete idiot and uh i think if anything's happened i think a lot of artists have um potentially dropped that last like semblance of bullshit that they were hanging on to and pretense and have been able to just be like this is literally what i do when i'm not on tour or playing music or whatever and when you when you meet people on the road and when you see them in videos and stuff that's them at their most demented that's not them like being themselves that's them exhausted you know no sleep no money completely miserable for months on end so this is me at home like sure my you know my job's stressful and i've got an album out in the middle of the pandemic and all the other stresses of life but right now i'm 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 fairly relaxed and i'm uh really enjoying you know playing music in this way and the next time you see me, I'll be enjoying playing it out in the world like a complete lunatic. So, yeah, yeah. I feel like um, there's no like conscious, uh, you know, it's not like me and Toby sit down and do it. How are we going to rebrand you, buddy, type thing. But it's just a different side, you know. This is just, you know, this is me when I'm at home.
0: Yeah, it just seemed as if there was an effort, and I just was curious if it was conscientious. Sure. To kind of cut loose a little bit. And also just the vibe of Back to the Party it just it doesn't have it doesn't have the same sort of kind of morose vibes that the previous records had or it doesn't have the same kind of darkness like mm. it's a very lively record it's a very uh kind of uppity record it's incredibly um it, it's a great record i love all your records but this one i think is the easiest to sing along to sure um, and <laughs> oh, yeah said for that notwithstanding you know great classics like uh dry shampoos an old favorite of mine and <laughs> songs that are just like a little bit less formulaic, a little bit more esoteric. Now you're a little bit more formulaic in a good way in terms of structure, not that. Sure, good. it's like, like more pop songs, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and it seemed as if you, you kind of turned a corner with that. Um, was that something that that came about in the process of narrowing down your stack of notebooks to get to these songs that you knew were going to be on the record? Was there like a shit ton of other songs that you had to kind of will, you know wind your way through?
1: Kind of. I mean, it was more the case that the songs that actually made it onto the record are the ones that were, uh, for my money, like the the most worthwhile, like they had the most substance to them. So like a song like Tears, for example, took me literally two years to write. I just uh, i worked so hard on that song and I just kept going back to it and back to it. And I knew there was something there that I wanted to make work. just couldn't figure out how for the longest time. And basically it was finding out that Sam Inglis could play Pedal Steel that changed the whole song and made it yeah. worth finishing. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, there's other songs on there. Like, uh, I mean, think about the gap between the song you write at the start of a five-year period and the, the end of a five-year period. Yeah. There's a huge amount of yeah, huge amount of time and living in there. So I wrote Good and Gone right at the start of that five-year period when I was working a different job, living a different place, being, you know, slightly different life. And then the last song I wrote... Uh, basement i wrote at the very end of that five-year period and there's kind of a transition i think from what you might call like a folk punk banger or whatever for good and gone right through to like a an acoustic i don't know emo pop punk song so i think rather than like consciously trimming down certain songs i just took the ones that were most true to the theme of what i wanted the record to be about i wanted the record to be about friendship and i wanted it to take a really hard look at growing up and you know distance and time and all the things that come between you and friends and i wanted every single song to reflect an element of that in some way and so i picked all the ones that thematically hit you know that exact point that i wanted to nail and i just kind of put them together in a way that that worked for me so again yeah. it's one of those things where it just has to just has to work for me and when i put those songs together like that and i played them in a row i thought yeah this is it this is the record i've been wanting to make for 5 years maybe like the record i've wanted to make my whole life so yeah, I was so ecstatic when I finally realized, oh, I've been writing this, like, wrenching but quite upbeat pop-punk record. Like, I've been writing a record for me and my friends. That's fucking great news, Sam. Awesome. <laughs> and then I went and yeah. recorded it, you know. It was a real, yeah. Believe me, it's as much a realization for me as anyone else when I finish it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have a question here from Cam Williams. Who is Ray? Oh, cool. the lyrics from the song. Ray- the song. <laughs> okay. Is it Ray Rocket?
1: It's not Ray Rocket. Okay. <laughs> he loves to pretend it is him. He tried to get this. I'm sure, uh, in, he, does. I'm sure he does. Yeah, this internet beef going between me and Ray. Um, no, I love Ray to death, and no matter what he might put me through, I would never tell him to fuck you. Um, I was working. I was working uh, doing some like building maintenance work, and the the building next to us was. Um, this really amazing uh, charity project that supplied families with furniture. So they'd take discarded furniture, they'd repurpose it and they'd give it to families who are struggling. And the nicest guy who worked there was a guy called Ray. He drove the van. He did a lot of the refurb work on the chest of drawers and stuff. And one day I was waiting for Ray to come to my house to pick up some furniture and drop something off. And I was dicking around in the kitchen and Ray was like two minutes late. He's probably the nicest guy I've ever met in my entire life. And I think I just was like, you can tell Ray, I said, fuck you. And Claire laughed. And I thought, Oh, that's a good. That's a good line. I'm going to keep that. So Ray is one of the nicest people I've ever met in, in my entire life, um, and I I weave him into a song where I tell him to go fuck himself. It's terrible etiquette, and I hope he doesn't ever hear about it because he's a really good dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I wrote it as part of I was doing, running a songwriting workshop for some kids. I was working in a school uh, a little bit later on, and I was I was showing them how to how to vent in a song. How to literally just like. You know, blast off and tee off about all the things that suck in your life. So I was like, make a list of everything that sucks in your life and see if you can turn it into verses. And I did exactly the same thing. I just wrote a list of stuff that was absolutely drilling me and uh, turned it into like, a, you know, one of those cathartic, like outburst type songs. And I finished it and I thought, most of those songs I wrote with the kids, I thought like, it's okay but it's not you know i wrote it so quick it's maybe not something that's going to make it on the record but it just hung in there it just stayed and it just fit it just clicked so yeah ray is a really nice guy so sorry to ray and everyone else
0: (laughs) thank you you, yeah no thanks for clarifying and thank you cam for your question and if ray rocket Rocket is watching it's not always about you (laughs) You.
1: <laughs> well, that's where you're wrong, Jeff, because it, it literally is always about Ray. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. Short story We played in, in Laramie at one point a couple years ago, and he came to see us. And it was this weird situation where the PA just couldn't get loud. So we okay. didn't turn up properly. And, you know, I had certain notes that I like to belt and hit. And if I'm on a good night, I can kind of hold them. And, yeah. you know, it's Laramie, and it's like 7,700. Altitude or whatever, I was like, I was just holding this note, and I could hear Ray from the side of the stage just doing a harmony. And it was like, he was doing it loud enough that Derek and I were like, What the fuck, man? Like, damn, like, you want to join? All right, yeah. (laughs) One more thing I wanted to say about Back to the Party. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious if you agree with if someone just knows your music, if someone just listens to your records, they're hauntingly beautiful. And they are, again, a little bit more morose, a little bit more macabre. I think that Back to the Party is a better representation of what you bring to a show during your actual set. Because you're very, I don't want you to get a big head when I say this, you're very charming. (laughs) Um, You are very very cute. You are very well-spoken and well-educated. And all of that comes across on stage as you're performing your songs, but also with how you carry yourself, both throughout the evening, but also in between songs. Do you think that "Back to the Party" is the best representation of who you really are, as compared to your other records?
1: Oof. Well, thanks, Jeff. That's very kind of Don't you get to get say. A big <laughs> Don't rude, Don't too late. Get a big too late. You have to adjust my uh, my hatband. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think, I think you nailed it, man. It is, it's, it's, it feels way more, um, I mean, look at it this way. Storm as an album is a chronicle of like the most pulverizing kind of heartbreak. And Greyhound Dreams is kind of about recovery in that sense and figuring out who you are again. And if you can function in the world as a loving person and those records are written out of like pure desperation to articulate the pains, you know, like, I know that sounds insanely pretentious, but they're literally coming from a place of like, I have nothing, I have no other way to communicate this. It has to be through yeah. a broken acoustic guitar. Whereas it, Back to the also, Party...
0: It Go also kind of felt like a, a collection of songs because it was your first record. So it was kind of like you were pulling from a, a few different early eras. Sure. It like. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, it runs perfectly chronologically, but that's probably more like luck than anything else yeah Um, but yeah some of those earlier jams were years old when i recorded them for the album so yeah that makes perfect sense and again storm didn't become storm until i recorded the song storm the last song that's when i named the record and i named that song and that's how i that's kind of how i do stuff it has to be quite spontaneous and it has to kind of fall together to a certain extent and back to the part you fell together but in a way that was way more um consciously constructed to to have a certain vibe and have a certain feeling and it, it addresses way harder stuff than, than like, romantic heartbreak to me. Like, I found it so hard to write and sing and talk about friendship on this record. I just have this weird emotional blockage that makes it really hard to address the the dynamics and the, the, the pain of growing up and staying friends and losing friends and everything that comes with it. So, again, it was, like, cathartic, and it is really... Um, really honest in terms of lyrics it's very literal but yeah it's got a more of a vibe that kind of says this shit happens like we got to fucking get through it we got to survive and the way that you do that is by you know clinging on and, and hanging on to your friends and, and you know keeping meaningful relationships so yeah the other two were like the full collapse and complete you know destruction of the heart and soul and then this one's more like there's hope you know
0: pardon the interruption but i need to thank another sponsor of the berman hour podcast and that's new wave with their Flow State Coffee, which is coffee for creativity. And I am drinking it right now as I am putting this podcast together. Why is it called Coffee for Creativity? I will tell you, because it's coffee, jazz caffeine, with raw cacao, which is very delicious and good for you, and L-theanine, which is an amino acid that you don't taste, you don't smell it, but it's in there, and it naturally reduces stress and anxiety. Combined with the caffeine, it sets your brain your creative mind into an optimum performance mode where you can get done what you need to get done and you don't get the shakes and jitters that often accompany too much caffeine. This is well balanced, it tastes delicious, and I want you to save money when you buy this coffee. Go to newwave.co slash berman, N O O W A V E dot co slash B E R M A N, and get 10% off. Thank you very much, New Wave. Everyone, get this coffee. It helps them, it helps the podcast, and it will help you. All right, back to my conversation with Sam Russo. The idea that you're working, the people that you have in your life, so we all have these people who we have relationships with, friendships specifically, that some of them take more work than others, and you just kind of need to step away from what's happening to deal with it. And then once you've found common ground, you... Go back to the party. Was that where kind of the, intro, <laughs> the title comes back into into it's
1: what, what it meant to be? You're you're the first person that's <clears throat> like pinned me down and asked me about the title, and it's <laughs> I never I never like to reveal the title. Well, like...
0: I could I could ask you the other question I had was. Um, <laughs> no, I
1: like it. I like it. But go on.
0: No, no, here's the other here's the other question. Okay. Did you purposely rip off the Menzingers?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's way better. No, but. Uh, James Hull. I told, I, you, you know, James Hull yeah, um, from Apologies I Have None. James, I told him what the record was going to be called, or or he found out. I think maybe someone else told him, and we were at the Black Heart in Camden, which is a good connection because we played there on our first ever right, uh, fr- yeah friendship journey together. And James um, basically had me pinned against the wall with his hand on my chest and was like, "You cannot." call your album back to the party you can't do it it sounds way too much like well you're gonna get pinned with this and are you are gonna get blue and uh it took me hours to convince him that it was not a terrible idea and i don't know if it was it probably was a terrible idea i don't know but I, to be honest i wasn't even i was aware of that album and i would heard it obviously but it wasn't like um i didn't have the two things connected in my head until someone else pointed it out to me and i was like well sure but there's only so many words in the fucking language you know what i mean like it's 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 my idea, and it's how I feel. If it sounds like something else, then pfft, yeah. sorry, yeah, that's for other people to deal with. But I, the the title came from. Um, I love the idea of having your back to a party. I love the idea of like facing away from all the you know the the craziness and the mayhem, and I love that. And then I love the idea of returning to a party. Like you go off and you go on this epic quest, and I was thinking specifically of a party when I was a kid. I went to my friend Chris Paddle's house with a bunch of buddies, and one of my friends got really drunk, and I had to take him off for a walk to sober him up we ended up getting into all kinds of like it was basically like the like uh village english village version of superbad and we came back we came back to the party and it was that feeling of like returning and uh you know just that renewed sense of camaraderie and vigor and celebration and everything like we're back we're back to the party. and that was kind of what I what I wanted to write the the album about was You know, that sense of returning, you know, that kind of coming back with the elixir, you know, in the strictest like Conrad sense, like literally coming back to the party. So for me, it worked on several levels, including ripping off the Menzingers, which I love.
0: I couldn't really pick up anything from the lyrics that would generate this connection, but I I was curious, and since I have you, was it a reference to any sort of political hangover or anything like that, A, a, a political party affiliation or anything?
1: I didn't actually have any kind of, I was aware of like the, you know, the, the, obviously like the layers of the word party, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't anything political really. It didn't really enter my mind. All I had was this very visceral memory and yeah. the kind of image of the feelings that, that that, that, return gives you, you know, that, that real like shot in the arm kind of the clarity of realizing, oh, this is what it's all about. I've been out on this fucking crazy quest and now I'm back and this is what we left and this is what we've come, this is what we'll always come back to. That was the feeling, really.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's quite beautiful. What is the most important lesson that you've learned as an educator that you have been able to transition into being a songwriter? <laughs> Holy shit, Jeff! Yes. Um, so the most important lesson
1: that I've learned from working with uh, from working with young people, from working with kids, uh, that I've taken back to writing songs is um, is that you never you never know everything. You never, um, I mean, I'm quite, I consider myself quite a humble person. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm, you know, up to much in a lot of ways. But when you work with kids, you realize that there's this kind of, um, to a certain extent, just by growing up, just by chronologically aging, you've kind of lost the sense that it's okay to question everything and that you don't always have to be right. You don't, don't always have to be performing. You don't always have to be the center of attention, etc., cetera, et cetera. And if I've learned anything, I've learned that it's okay to be vulnerable in that way. It's okay to say, I don't know, or, you know, I, I don't know how to behave. I don't know how to feel. I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't, uh, I'm lost, you know, that kind of, to be able to say that. I think working with kids more than anything has just kept that like in the forefront of my mind because i'm not the kind of person who would ever you know pretend to know everything but it really keeps me um it keeps me in that zone when you work with people who aren't afraid to say i I don't know or ask questions or or even better apologizing and knowing when you when you fucked up big time just being being like oh that was a terrible mistake like working with kids really hammers that home every day it helps you remember that that's a really important part of life um failing getting up again and trying again it keeps it right there in your mind in ways that maybe other jobs, I don't know, maybe other jobs do, but it's all about the, you know, picking up on that lesson. And believe me, you meet a lot of teachers, a lot of educators, a lot of people who work in pastoral care and support who don't learn that lesson and who actively shut off to it and become arrogant and become pompous. And they are the worst kinds of educators. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, They're the worst people. So I, I, I polarize and I'm always on the side of questioning, you know, not being afraid to say you don't know, and I will never be in the group of people who who looks down on people for not knowing something. That's yeah. probably the main thing, to be honest. And just it, it keeps you remembering how to have silly fun. It keeps you keeps you aware of the fact that every single thing that's happening around you is an opportunity to enjoy yourself on some level. Whether you're enjoying learning something really like nerdy, or whether you're enjoying just doing something that's clearly really fun and, and healthy, uh, strips away a lot of the pretension, I guess.
0: When I was when I met you I had just left a job where I was an educator at a yeah. and, and it was a lot more bureaucratic than I ever thought it would but what I enjoyed about working with young people but also working with uh, and facilitating programs for police groups or, or corporate groups or whatever was just like sure. the because when you're dealing with such a specific subject matter like that it's almost like you're dealing with resilience in real time you're seeing people come to terms with like their own understanding of things in real time yeah and it's like you know you can't be uh, just like stale to it and reserved to it. You need to be engaging, but you also can't be like, you know, kind of in their face about it. It's like the the give and pull. And that was a valuable lesson that I kind of learned navigating this fucked up industry that you and I are now in where it's like, yeah, you you just have to kind of be willing to, sometimes you need to be willing to eat shit sandwiches and sometimes (laughs) you need to be willing to serve them. You know, (laughs) You you have to kind of do that. Um, I just have a few more questions for you. I know you're you're very busy on the media circuit.
1: I am not busy. Carry on.
0: (laughs) No, no. This might be something that is already kind of addressed, but because of COVID and everything, and it hasn't really been, we haven't really seen it play out, and we don't really know how it's going to to be anyway. But you are in England. Brexit took a long time. There was a lot of doubt if it was going to happen. It's happened. seems like we forgot about it because of everything else. But what are some of the challenges that you are going to now face when it comes to you as a citizen of the United Kingdom touring on the mainland in Europe?
1: I wish I knew. I think the main obstacle is going to be trying to convince our European family that we're not dicks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know. I'm not in favor of leaving the EU, it probably goes without saying, but I think the biggest thing is going to be, like, I just feel like I'm going to be walking into rooms full of people who are seeing me as a a British person, and that sucks. (laughs) Right now, I I feel like it sucks a lot. I I don't know logistically. Let me me just say
0: this. Let me just say this. As somebody who who toured Japan during the 2003 Iraq invasion, (laughs) and somebody who... Toward Europe, right as Donald Trump was about to get elected, and then again after he was elected, yeah. I can deal with the. Uh, so, uh, tell me about this uh, Trump. Is it, how, what the fuck is your problem? No, like, oh, <laughs> it's not me. I'm here. We're talking. It's not
1: me. Yeah. So, yeah. Touche. I mean, yeah. I wish I. I wish I knew logistically and bureaucratically and financially and everything else what it means, but I didn't understand. What leaving the EU? I, I, as far as long as I've been sentient, we've been in the EU, and I, I didn't understand what it meant to leave the EU when the vote happened. I don't fully understand now. I don't. I, people understand better now than they did then, but I, I have no idea what it means for me. Um, I really hope it means uh, that I still get to visit, you know, the part of the world that I still consider myself a cultural member of. Maybe not on paper or whatever, but. I consider yeah. myself a European human being. I consider myself a, a citizen of the world. You know, I don't. I don't believe in this bullshit. So I, I really hope that somebody can teach me, and, and somehow there's some clarity about what it all means at some point. You know, I want our political system to to be clearer, and I want it to be. I want it to be put in layman's terms what it means for us to leave this incredibly complicated network that we've been a part of for so long, and that has been so positive. I have to be honest dude I, I really don't know at the moment. I hope it means I still get to go and, and meet awesome people in Europe like I always have, and I hope it means I get yeah. to do that without being financially crippled, detained at borders, punished by you know well meaning people who want to tell me how fucked my country is you know i just want to, just want to be able to do it still I want to be able to still communicate through music and you know i want to, i want to, I don't want to do it the way it always was or anything nostalgic like that but i I don't want it to be fucked from now on, you know
0: yeah. Her divine shadow said, "I thought it would suck, and I'm learning every day that it's going to suck more than I thought." Well,
1: that's. That's Yeah, uh, it's realistic. It's it's um the more we're able to digest what it means to, you know, to leave that market and for to have these career psychopaths negotiate our futures, uh, the more we're realizing that it's. I mean, I always knew it was going to be catastrophically fucked, but. You know, some people are starting to realize that for them, for their lives, for their businesses, for their families, it's apocalyptically fucked. So, yeah, yeah, for me as a musician, I'm hopeful because I have 100% faith in the people receiving what I'm bringing to Europe, that we're all friends and we're all in it together. For other people, you know, for people who run freight or who have, uh, you know, businesses that rely on some sort of, uh, you know, European-UK exchange or a middleman relationship, I have no idea, man. I think they're finding out week on week that... It's not going to be easy.
0: I wanted to ask you about the unique relationship that you have with your record labels. I'd be remiss mm-hmm. if I didn't put Toby over because Toby at Red Scare, I think, is the most kind of actively and obvious and engaged label head. Uh, and, and I'm not—I don't mean to be putting anybody else down, but um, yeah, yeah, no. He gives it. Toby gives a shit, and you can really tell. In in the term in terms of how his bands operate, how that's reciprocated, and um, kind of how they function. But this is now the third record you've done with Toby, but it's also the third that you've done with Subject Specialists.
1: And no, I, I, this album isn't out on Specialist Subject.
0: Oh, okay. I'm sorry.
1: No, it's cool. In, in 2015, Greyhound Dreams came out with Specialist Subject, and yeah. it was split with Red Scare, the same as, um, same as Storm. They both came out on both labels, and one yeah. handled Europe, basically, and one handled uh, America in, in broad terms. For this record, I spoke to Andrew um, and Kay, who run Specialist Subject. And we kind of just decided between us more them than me, to be honest, this wasn't like a, you're dropped conversation, but they didn't really feel that where I was going musically necessarily fit with the label anymore. So we just decided that it would be a hundred percent red Sky. Oh,
0: okay. Well, in other news, uh, I'm fired. because
1: I didn't. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> There's no reason for you to know that it wasn't like a, it wasn't an announcement or anything, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about Toby there. Um, I'd never met anyone like Toby Jag when I first met him. you know what I mean? I'd never met someone who ran a legit label that had some seriously good bands who was a, a completely honest human being. Just, I mean, he rang me in 2012, I was living in Manchester, I didn't have a job. I was riding a borrowed bicycle around industrial estates in Manchester, looking for jobs in warehouses, getting nowhere. And he rang me at a urinal with Dave Hawes and asked me if he could put out my album that's not a like music industry conversation that's not like <laughs> that's that's exactly what i needed i needed someone yeah. to ring me and be normal and talk to me in words i understood and every single thing we've done since then has just been building a friendship like i don't think of toby uh, in any way other than one of my closest most reluctant friends uh, yeah. <laughs> he's just i i feel like i feel amazingly proud to be part of part of red i feel like there's no label on earth I'd rather have anything to do with. And he just as a guy, like is, is we've just, I don't know, man, the shit like I, you get me start, start me talking about Toby. We'll be here for hours, but yeah, suffice to say, I love Toby Jag and I love Red Scare and it's home and it's a hundred percent where I want to be. And it's everything that I, you know, we agree on so many levels politically and uh, in terms of matters of the heart and everything else, we just, um, I feel like it's a really good fit for me and it's, nothing i ever expected i never expected to be on a u.s record label you know what i mean i thought i was gonna you know die in obscurity on my own record label running out of my garage so the fact that red scare lets me tour abroad lets me come to the u.s and lets me do all that kind of stuff and the fact that you know toby is is always there to listen to any of my dumb ideas and to help me out when i get stuck it's amazing yeah that's
0: awesome that's awesome yeah, i love it <laughs> strange hobbies in quarantine <laughs>
1: Why? You're asking me, knowing that I have, on you? That's uh, that's what you're no, doing no, right no. now. No, no.
0: The reason I ask is because mine—I've developed a strange fascination.
1: What you got? I I what is it? What you did?
0: Um, I'm obsessed with flying. All I want to do is fucking get on an airplane and fly. Like I've—I've I've become obsessed with planes. I've become obsessed with these, you know, like Instagram celebrity types who are just—they're trying out different first class you know uh options on different yeah, areas yeah. i just uh, i'm interested in in different aircrafts for for whatever reason um and i i kind of go through fits and spurts where i'm a timid flyer because of turbulence and whatever sure. um but normally i'm I'm pretty good and uh i i like always kind of like flying but for whatever reason now that i can't do it i am just obsessed with it and and i love learning more about it and uh you know, this has obviously been devastating to that industry and all the great sure. people who work for it. Um, so there's there's just a lot to learn, and, and uh, I'm quite enjoying it. I don't think I would be into it if I was out and about touring or doing whatever else I'd be doing right now.
1: It's great, man. You're like an aviation buff.
0: I, I wish, man. I wish. Yeah. What about the
1: airfix? Would you do airfix? You know, like is it? Do they call it airfix in the U.S.? Where you um, make the the little model planes and you paint them?
0: Oh yeah yeah I'm not interested in that. I don't know oh, okay I, I think I'm gonna start a small collection of them like you know have three or four, but nice. I, don't I don't know about making them yeah and i also I don't have an interest in getting on a shitty like Ryanair flight with like yeah you know seventy five mouth breeze. like i'm I don't it's not that it's like <laughs>
1: just to do a vlog yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I would you know like uh i when I flew back from Munich in December, it was such a beautiful flight, we went over newfoundlands and northern canada and wow you know munich to los angeles was was like 12 hours or something yeah. but it's just this marvelous the sun was up the entire time and i don't know i'm just i'm kind of itching for that but how about yeah. you
1: well <laughs> i so t- to begin with i i got into um learning how to play guitar properly i wanted to learn um i never learned at school I wasn't allowed uh, so I wanted to learn scales and I want to learn more about um, music theory so I started with that which I felt was quite a respectable way to spend time and then I just got obsessed with fingerboarding
0: <laughs> just... That's right I thought you had done that for years that's new
1: <laughs> oh, dude no I um, I can't remember how I got started I, I was I was buying some I was buying some stuff on a skate website and I saw they had fingerboards for like two pounds or whatever so I threw one in the basket and I arrived and I was like oh that's fun yeah, that's really fun. Oh, that's I'm hooked. That's it. I'm doing this for hours. And it yeah, I got a little bit obsessed. Um so basically I work at my computer now at home all the time and I have meetings with students and with parents and teachers and everything else. And in between, I just stand up and I stretch, I do all my stretches, and I'll just figureboard on the window ledge like this. <laughs> it's all I do. And I um I I took my obsession to a new level and I built uh built a concrete fingerboard pool with um, a bench and some palm trees and I painted it and <laughs> made like a full-on hangout spot like yeah. just somewhere to go in my brain like oh I'm, I'm really there I'm really yeah. sitting next to this big perfect skateable pool um, it's called the zest pit which I'm massively into um, great so yeah that's that's my weird quarantine obsession is probably fingerboarding and I mean it's annoying it's antisocial it makes a, a really really irritating sound uh, everyone judges you for it. It sucks on basically every level conceivable, so I'm I'm 100% in. I follow all these... I maybe follow 100 Instagram accounts about fingerboarding <laughs> and about making homemade DIY obstacles and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I'm fully in there, man. It's nothing like, uh, you know, doing something that's that's just completely objectionable and abhorrent to, like, 90% of society and something so facile as, like, a little toy. That, <laughs> I love it. It's great fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's also, awesome. yeah, like... I, I, played, I played D&D and I play a lot of um, like tabletop RPGs and that hasn't been possible in quarantine, obviously. So I'm new to doing that online and I got a little bit obsessed with that. Like Me and my friends have a, a group and we play um, this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles universe RPG and D&D and we do it all online. So that's new to me is doing the whole Discord thing. That's been really fun. Big learning curve. Uh, I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, I guess that's um, the lesser of two terrible childish evils.
0: And there you have it, my conversation with my good friend Sam Russo, the remarkably nerdy Mr. Sam Russo. Be sure to check out his latest record, Back to the Party, out now worldwide on Red Scare Industries. And also, lots of good Berman Hour podcast episodes coming up. We're almost at our one-year anniversary of doing this podcast. My first episode was May 2nd. 2020 with my lovely wife, Kate Warwick. Maybe we'll get her back. I don't know. But otherwise, we're gonna have great guests regardless. Thank you for following along. If you haven't yet, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour Podcast. Thank you to Hello Productions for sponsoring the podcast. Thank you to New Wave and their Flow State Coffee for sponsoring the podcast. N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O-Slash B-E-R-M-A-N. And you can save 10% off your next order of New Wave's Flow State Coffee. And thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week Let's get